eternal life now. In 1 John, the first chapter in the ninth verse, we read these words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, having asked and believed and received forgiveness and cleansing, there's another promise that follows almost on the heels of this promise. Perhaps the writer of this epistle wrote the next promise within a matter of a few moments. 1 John 1, 9, followed by 1 John 2, 25, which says, This is a promise that he promised us, even eternal life. I wonder if you'd like to quote that with me. Why don't we all quote it together or read it together? And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. I remember the first time in my experience that I ever inserted my name where it said us. I had it read this way. And this is the promise that he has promised Glenn Kuhn, even eternal life. I can't tell you, friends, what it did to my soul. It's for Glenn Kuhn. It's not an abstraction. It's no guesswork. It's a promise from my Heavenly Father to me personally. Then we put it in our little book entitled, The ABCs of Prayer. Sometime after Brother David and Brother Steve received the Lord Jesus, before they met us, somebody loaned them some of our books. And they opened the little book, the ABCs of prayer. And as they read the place where we suggested that they would insert their first and last names in the promise, they opened their Bibles, and Brother Steve placed in the margin Steve Marshall. Brother David placed in his margin David Meeker, and they read it. And this is the promise that he has promised Steve Marshall. David Meeker, even eternal life. And they reported later to us, they said, as we thought of the immensity, the eternity of it all, we sat there and looked into each other's faces, and they said we just shed tears for about half an hour to think of the fabulous love of the one whose hands were nailed to Calvary. He purchased our eternal life on Calvary. Amen? Amen. So, friends, we'd like to have you if you would, open your Bible to 1 John 2.25, and we're going to read it, and as we come to the word us, we're going to ask you, instead of reading us, to audibly say your first and your last name. So everybody through this audience, everyone in, uh, in the viewing audience, everyone in his or her home, will not say us, but you'll say your first and last name. You'll modulate your voice a little when you come to that, but you'll say it audibly. And I'll first repeat how I w will say it. And this is the promise that he promised Glenn Kuhn, even eternal life. Would you like to try it with me together? And this is the promise that he has promised Glenn Kuhn, even eternal life. Friends, isn't it a glorious promise? This is for every one of us. And you know what happens about this time? Satan comes along and he said, Now listen here. You have committed too many sins to claim that promise. And I found this 
You know, Satan's very clever. I found that most people are willing up to the present moment to say, yes, I thank you, Lord, that up to a certain point I can claim this promise. But suppose that I sin again, then what? And particularly is this true with very tender-hearted people, conscientious people. In order somehow to meet the devil and beat the devil at his own trick, we like to stand before an audience and say, look, if you commit the same sin several times today after you've claimed eternal life, God doesn't change at all. He is absolutely the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no change in God. We're talking to a group of little people, first, second, and third graders. And I thought, Lord, help me. Help me at this early age to instill in their mind that God doesn't say, shape up, and then I love you. Shape up, then I'll forgive you. Shape up, and then I'll save you. No, no, we can't shape up. The shaping up has to be done by him. So I, I, claiming the Lord's promise for the Holy Spirit and wisdom, I said to these little folks, listen, you can ask God to forgive your sins, 1 John 1, 9. And let's quote it together, little children, and they'll quote, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Aren't they so sweet? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I said, when you confess your sins, will Jesus forgive you? And they're all nodding, all those precious little folks are nodding, yes. Do you really believe? You believe Jesus forgives you, don't you? Yes. And then I take on a very serious look. But I said, listen, if you commit that same sin, that same sin again today, and I, and I try to look a little fierce. I don't have to try very much. If you commit that same sin again today, where, can you expect him to forgive you then? And you know what about 90% of them do? Maybe one little person will almost dare. Yes, maybe two. But most of them, some will sit there and just wonder, could it be? But a number of them, no. I said, yes, he will. If you commit that same sin again today, he will forgive you. He hasn't changed at all. He's the same wonderful Savior. He will do it. I said, but listen now. Then I take on this serious <laughs> cool look again. You know, but listen, boys and girls, if you do that three times today, will Jesus forgive you then? You know what happens then? Bless the Lord. Almost every one of those little heads smile. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. They captured quickly. Then I say, but now listen, suppose you do it seven times today. Yes, he will. Every one of them, almost without exception. But I said, now wait, wait, wait a minute. Suppose you were, it was possible for you to commit that same sin 490 times today. Mm. Yes, he will. No matter how many times we sin, it doesn't change God. Aren't you glad, friends? It does not change his love. It does not change his attitude. It hurts us. It hurts him. He has been the lamb. Jesus has been the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is suffering continually as a result of our sin, but his suffering from our sin does not cause him to retaliate. Aren't you glad? It hurts us. It wounds us. It leaves scars, but it does not change God. So let's quote it again. 
and together. And this is the promise that he hath promised us again. First and last name. I forgot too. <laughs> so we'll forgive you to first and last names. And this is the promise that he hath promised Glenn Coon. Even eternal life. As you can imagine, our team receives lots and lots of mail. Hundreds upon hundreds of letters. And we don't have a large staff to answer our mail, so if you don't get answers as soon as you expect, don't get discouraged. You'll get it in a year or two. <laughs> in one day's mail, we got two outstanding letters. One was from a young lady in her teens, probably about 19. And her letter was all written on one page, casually written. I like the way teenagers write. They can put more on a page than a lot of us older people can in a whole book. <laughs> you know. She said, Dear Pastor and Mrs. Coon, I want to thank you so much for that series of meetings that you conducted up at the academy. And she named the academy several years ago. She said, I enjoyed every one of those meetings. But she said, at the time, I little realized the practical benefits I was going to receive. She said, I'd like to cite two. And the first one was, she said, I have been claiming God's promises. And one of the answers he's given me, he has given me one of the finest Christian, noble Christian boyfriends in the world, and we're engaged. And you know, I said, praise the Lord. What would you say? Say, that wasn't bad. That's a lot better than most audiences reply. You know why some audience, audience don't reply? They say, did you say she was 19? Only 19? Well, I would rather a girl would fall in love with a boy, a good godly boy at the age of 19, than on the rebound to marry a criminal, wouldn't you? So let's be careful. You did beautifully. My, that was beautifully. Then she said the second example of how Practical, the ABCs of prayer are, is this. She began to write about Jesus. She said, I do claim, and she began to underscore, I do claim him as my very, underscored twice, personal, underscored three times, savior, underscored four times. I rushed in the other room. I said, mother. <laughs> I call my wife mother ever since we had children. <laughs> I want you to read this letter. Teenagers are finding Jesus Christ as their very personal Savior. Look at this exulting letter in Jesus Christ, and we rejoice together. In the same mail, we got a letter from a lady about 73. And it went like this. Dear Pastor and Mrs. Kuhn, I have been a church member for over 40 years, but I never had assurance in Jesus Christ until I read your book on the ABCs of prayer. She said, that book is done for me. I'm sure she meant it was only the instrument of what God had done. What the author had in mind, namely, I now have my hand in the hand of the crucified. Oh, I said, thank the Lord. I'm sorry that the lady went along 40 years, you know, without finding the simple trust that was hers in Jesus, aren't you? What a travesty it is for people to have just enough religion to make them worried 
God wants us to have enough religion to say, in his presence there's fullness of joy, at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God wants us to do it. Though we're persecuted, though we're misunderstood, yet in the heart, he said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The peace of the world passes away when somebody abuses them. But the peace in Jesus stays there in the heart, no matter what the external disappointing circumstances are. Aren't you glad for that? Thank the Lord. Oh, I was so thrilled. I said, dear Lord, we're going to keep, and my wife, she said, I agree. I said, we're going to keep right on this program, and we're going to keep traveling just as long as the Lord gives us strength. If there are men and women getting their hands in the, hands of the, in the hand of the crucified, we say, praise the Lord. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I add this parenthetically? Probably you don't realize what a terrible sacrifice my wife and I are passing through. I want to share just a bit of this parenthetically. One of the awful sacrifices that we have made this fall and winter is we have left Tennessee, where it's 20 below zero, to come out here into California. Can you imagine that? You see the sacrifice you go through when you follow Jesus? We thought, and we'd almost planned to go to Florida this fall. Florida is having snow all over the place. Don't you see what we sacrificed? All that zero weather? You know, my friends, it's no sacrifice to walk with Jesus Christ. The devil will try to discourage us. Don't mistake. We'll not be riding on cloud nine all the while. Oh, no. But, my friends, we can have a constant assurance that in spite of our stumbling, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our crimson sin, God still is the same, and he sits on the throne, and he said, I love you still. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Savior. I was speaking on this subject in a church quite a distance from here, and I was trying to explain to people how we receive this eternal life. Isaiah 45, 22 says, look unto me and be you saved. And I've been receiving a lot of letters from friends, earnest, uh, pleading letters. Would you please explain the difference between justification by faith and sanctification by faith? And I'm not sure about it. And I said, you know, don't worry about the difference. The thief on the cross couldn't have explained the difference, right? But he could look to Jesus Christ, and salvation comes not through technicalities, and technical differences, it comes to fixing our gaze on Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. You may never be able to explain it like a theologian, but you can look into his face. And I kept writing to her again and again. I said, this is what you need to do. This is what we must all do. Look to him. Don't look to your behavior. Look to Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And then another text we've quoted with it. And I was speaking on this subject one morning, and the other text was Acts 16.31. The Apostle Paul gave this promise to the jailer at Philippi. You remember, they put their feet fast in the stocks. Paul and Silas sang at midnight. Oh, by the way, that gives a message right there, doesn't it? When you and I are going through the, most, the, the darkest troubles, let's try it. Singing the praise of God. I don't know which sang the melody. 
I don't know which sang the air, which sang the tenor, but I know one thing. They were on the air. For it says the people heard him, the prisoners heard them sing, and every and the whole the whole jail trembled, every man's bonds were loosed, and the jailer thought that they'd escaped, he was ready to commit suicide because he knew he'd be executed. And then Paul said, Don't hurt yourself, we're all here. Isn't that unselfishness? The jailer sprang in, seized a light, sprang in, he said, What shall I do to be saved? You know what the apostle Paul said? If you know, quote it with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Is it true or isn't it? You don't have to know all the peculiarities of doctrine to be saved. You don't have to know what day is the Sabbath to be saved. You don't have to know where the dead are to be saved. But you do have to look up in the face of Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, Savior of the world, You've said, you will save your people from their sins. I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and to give me your salvation. I believe it because you can't lie. I receive it. And you have found eternal life as you continue to look to Jesus. This is the only way we can obey him is by looking to him. If we look at our own inabilities and our hopelessness, we can't obey. It is he who gives us the power to obey. And it's really a three-part promise. Believe on the Lord. That means, Lord, I make you the Lord of my life. You've wanted to map out my life and bring me happiness eternally. But, Lord, I've sort of been lording my own life. I now ask you to be the Lord of my life. The second part, the Lord Jesus. Matthew 1, 21, thou shalt save your people from their sins. Lord, you're my Savior. I can't save myself. I'm not going to try to save myself. I'm going to look to you as my Savior. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ means anointed. Lord, I'm reaching up for your Holy Spirit to anoint me. So I believe in you as my Lord. I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I believe in the anointed Christ who will anoint me and send me on my way to glory land. That particular morning as I was speaking, there was an 83-year-old war veteran listening. This man was called the swearingest man of his city. <laughs> and he'd planned to unite with the church. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And when the pastor told me that this man was thinking some of uniting with the church, but he had a little problem, on God's holy day he wanted to do his own thing, I thought to myself, is the pastor thinking of, of letting that man in the church? How is he going to... They said, he doesn't merely swear as a habit, he swears to entertain people. I said, Lord, to take the name of Jesus in vain, my Savior, to entertain people? Horrors! Pastor and I were riding along the day before when he was telling me something about this. He said, there he is now with a wheelbarrow. He said, he's got a great big heart, he'll do anything for anybody. He said, let me drive up close to him, I'll introduce him to you, you can invite him to meeting. So I invited him to meeting the night before. He said, no, I'm going to be at that organization. I said, well, we are going to have a meeting tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. He said, I'll be there. I thought, man, he's quite a fighter if he is 83 years old. He's got a lot of warfare blood still in his veins. Sure enough, the next morning he was there. I was presenting this subject. Look to Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life. I concluded my message by inviting all who had not received assurance in Jesus, but would take that assurance that morning to come forward. People came. Scores came. 
Can you imagine people in Christian churches with their membership, carrying on in Christian activity, not having assurance in Jesus? That is the thought. Let's take it. What do you say? I said, take it this morning. Brethren, friends, whoever you are, take that salvation. It's free of charge. The gift of God is eternal life. And as they would come forward, I'd shake their hand, offer a little word of prayer, shake hands with another. And by the time we were ready for the benediction, I was halfway down the aisle, right next to the 83-year-old man. And my heart went out to him. And I said, he didn't know I was saying it particularly, especially for his benefit. I said, now, friends, if there's anyone here this morning that's reaching out for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you haven't had quite the courage to step out in the aisle, why don't you, wherever you're standing, just with your foot, take a step. Nobody may see it, but the Lord will. There's something important about a gesture, a physical gesture. It's my way of saying, Lord, I choose you. I don't have the strength, but I, I make the choice. I said, now, friends, as we sing that closing stanza once more, I said, just make the gesture. We sang the closing stanza, and then the benediction was offered. And when the benediction was offered, I felt impressed, since the man was right there by the aisle, to put my hand on his shoulder. And I prayed a prayer. And the prayer went like this. Thank you, Lord, for my brother's decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that's a short prayer, wouldn't you say? My wife was standing about 20 feet away with the pastor of the church. And by the time she knew I was praying, I was through. <laughs> See, I don't believe in Magellan prayers in public. You know what a Magellan prayer is? A Magellan prayer is when people pray all around the world while others are praying they'll put into port somewhere. So I don't believe in Magellan prayers in public. Pray as long as we want to in our closet. So I prayed that short prayer. You know, when I hear people praying in public, a long, long prayer, I think of a man trying to put uh, a plug to an appliance in an outlet. And if he can't put it in immediately, you know, if he fumbles around, I say to myself, I know what he's, he can't get it into the out. He is making contact. When I hear a man praying all over the place, I know he hasn't made contact yet. When you make contact with that plug, with that source of power, there's power. Thank you, Lord, for my brother's decision. And my wife told me after I went home, she said, you know when you said that? She said, the little old man went, <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. That afternoon as I stood up to speak, the pastor said, will you announce that all who want to be baptized tomorrow night will come meet us in the pastor's study? And I thought, he's liable to come in. Is he going to have baptized uh, profanity? Said, well, I said, I just work here. So I announced it, sure enough, right after the meeting. That man bolted in with the others. And I said, you know, it's wonderful. And I was praying for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit impressed me. Keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. I said, you know, it's wonderful, friends. This morning, you accepted the Lord as your Lord, Jesus Christ. Are the questions? Right up quickly. This 83-year-old man looked at me. My, he had two eyes like, like, I was going to say firecrackers. <laughs> and he fixed his gaze on me and said, if I am baptized tomorrow night, can I still engage in that organization? And I cried out to God in my heart, Lord, what am I going to do? And the Lord's Spirit said, keep his eyes on Jesus. Don't get bogged down. I said, listen, you made the Lord the Lord of your life this morning, didn't you? You do what he tells you to do. He came back with this. Is it against the rules of the church? I said, forget all about the rules of the church. 
He knew what God had said to do. I said, you talk it over with Jesus and tonight we'll, we'll see you. We forgot to see him that night. The Lord wanted us to. The next morning, after my wife and I were finished worship, my wife said, you forgot the little old man. I called the pastor. I said, would you see him? My time is all taken. He said, brother, brother Kuhn, the man called me not 15 minutes ago. Did he? He said, he was sobbing. And he said, he said, pastor, I thought this out all night with Jesus Christ. I say, wonderful, what do you say? He was fighting with a captain who's never lost a battle. He said, pastor, as of today, I'm resigning this organization completely, and I am going to be baptized. And he was. Friends, let us look to Jesus Christ. He offers salvation free of charge. Will we do it? Dear Lord, thank you for hearing us, for accepting every longing heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, lifting up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.